Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. Today's episode, we will be hearing directly from two incredible healthcare professionals, and that is Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, FCCP, FIDSA, BCPS, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD, BCPS, and the two guests will be joining us today to discuss the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection. And at this time, I'd like to welcome both guests to the program. Welcome, Bruce, and welcome, Chris. So I'm happy to have you here. Yes, thank you, Nancy, for thank having Thank you, Nancy. Me. Okay, great. I'm so glad you're here. And um, Chris, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind um, just giving a brief uh, background to our audience. Sure. So uh, very excited to be here. So I am a clinical professor at the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy. I work here in our extended campus in Savannah, and uh, Bruce and I uh, work a lot together, both on the uh, University of Georgia side as well as St. Joe Candler. So I'll let Bruce kind of uh, introduce himself. Yeah, sure. So I am a uh, infectious disease clinical pharmacy specialist here in uh, St. Joseph's Candler and an associate, uh, sorry, an adjunct associate uh, clinical professor within the University of Georgia. So I'm, I'm kind of the the yin to Chris's yang. It's yeah, wonderful. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that's great. Well, you know, we're so glad that both of you, have, you know, have taken time out of your busy schedule to join us today. This is such an important topic. And, you know, with the penicillin allergy, we know, we know so the, the title of the episode is about penicillin allergies. And Bruce, can you tell us a little bit about the prevalence of penicillin allergies and the issues with carrying the allergy? Sure. Yeah, I actually think that's a great place to start. Um, you know, there are a lot of statistics that I usually kind of throw out when we first start speaking about penicillin allergies. Um, I, I think uh, we forget how common this is. So about 10% of the United States population says they are allergic to penicillin. And if you take that into context, you know, we have, what, 330 million Americans out there. So that's about 33 million Americans saying, hey, I'm, I'm allergic to penicillin. And the uh, the, the problem with that is, Ninety uh, percent of them are actually not truly allergic for a lot of different reasons. Some we will hopefully get into here on on this talk. Um, but that means that about 27 million Americans, maybe close to 30 million, are walking around right now going, "Hey, I'm allergic to penicillin," um, but they're not truly allergic. And you know, I talked about that number being 10 percent, but for me, on the hospital side, that number actually jumps up to about 15 to 20 percent of patients we see. So about one in every five patients that gets admitted to the hospital comes in with a penicillin allergy. So definitely something that we, um, we otherwise see a lot of. And okay. you, know, you kind of alluded to what, what might be the burden with that. Um, and the biggest part of that, I would say, is that many patients, therefore, do not receive the optimal therapy or the, the best antibiotics they can because of that. We see more fluoroquinolone, something like ciprofloxacin. We see more vancomycin, more clindamycin use in all these. And then the, the last thing I'll mention is kind of this tie to resistant infection. So we see increased chance of having a, uh, a methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus infection, a vancomycin-resistant enterococcus infection, about 30% more chance with that. And, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, uh, about a 23% chance, almost a one in four increase in chance of C. difficile infection. Thank you so much, Bruce. So in other words, um, most people who say they are allergic, but they're actually not, Yes, that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, I think it is twofold, though, because, you know, on one hand, it could have been an adverse reaction, meaning somebody says, hey, uh, you know, I took amoxicillin and it, uh, it gave me diarrhea, which would be an adverse reaction and not an allergy. Um, so it could have been something, you know, confused along those lines. The other side of it is that it can absolutely be a, uh, a legitimate allergy that you had, uh, maybe even as a child. And what we know is that with each decade of life, there's about an 80% chance that uh, you could essentially grow out of that allergy, that allergies, they wane over time. So many patients who, even if they uh, 
did have a true allergy can grow out of it as, as years pass. I mean, we found from even our own data from penicillin skin testing patients that an overwhelming majority uh, of patients we test are no longer still allergic. Okay. And Bruce, how does this affect antibiotic prescribing? Yeah, so I mean, I, I kind of touched on a little bit of it about, you know, more fluoroquinolone, vancomycin, clindamycin use. But, you know, we also got to remember that penicillins or, or even cephalosporins, which are a very close kind of cousin to penicillins, are first line for a lot of infections that we treat out there. So whether it be surgical prophylaxis, let's say you need an antibiotic before surgery, or, um, you know, specific bacteria. I, we always talk about uh, methicillin-susceptible Staphylococcus aureus. And, you know, Chris and I could have a great debate over this, uh, this entire hour just off of which is better, whether it's cefazolin or nafcillin. But in the end, um, both of those are either a penicillin or a cephalosporin. And then finally, also a lot of the sexually transmitted infections out there, penicillins are our first-line agents for those. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Bruce. And Chris, we have talked about the issues of being allergic to penicillin, but can you tell us why this is an issue with C. diff? Well, I think Bruce did a good job covering, you know, how prevalent this is. And, you know, the thing is, most of these allergies are self-reported. And nearly anyone in healthcare uh, can enter that allergy. And one thing I can tell you about a penicillin allergy is it's real easy to enter into a record, and it's really hard to get it off the record. And so um, labels, a lot of times when, when you're a patient, many of the patients that are probably listening to this right now, when you go to a prescriber, they're not going to address that label at all. Uh, many times they just assume it's correct, don't look at any details, and you say, okay, you're penicillin allergic. I'm just going to move on to prescribing something that's not related to penicillin. And so a lot of times these labels are incomplete. Um, you know, Bruce is going to get into this later in the hour. What are some good questions to ask whenever we're trying to delineate and figure out what truly happened when this person, you know, has an allergy or, like he said, a side effect that it's actually not an allergy. And so what happens is all of these, um, I call them lack of friction in the sense that these allergies get put on the profile leads to prescribing of often broader antibiotics, things that, um, that we don't really want to use in most patients, many patients, then end up uh, setting a patient up for a C. difficile infection because Many times a penicillin or a cephalosporin are agents we want to use, or sometimes, especially uh, penicillin, some of the narrower therapies, meaning they don't kill off as many of the bacteria in the colon that typically set up patients for C. difficile infection. Okay. So, Chris, what you're saying is that some antibiotics have a higher risk than others for acquiring a C. difficile infection? Absolutely. So this is a major problem. You know, when we think about, um, you know, selecting an antibiotic, one of the things we think about is how high of a risk is this patient for C. difficile? Maybe they're older. Maybe they have immunocompromised uh, due to cancer or some other drug they're taking. And we know inherently that certain drug classes have a higher risk. Um, things like fluoroquinolone, cipro and levofloxacin, clindamycin. Uh, drugs that um, I know your audience is probably very familiar with, uh, carbapenems. You know, these drugs we know have a higher risk, and there's plenty of published data really worldwide. There's their data in England uh, showing that penicillin allergy patients are about two to two and a half times more likely to receive a drug like ciprofloxacin, which we know has an increased risk for C. difficile infection. Even within the United States, um, clindamycin, is prescribed nearly four times as often in a penicillin-allergic labeled patient as is a non-penicillin-allergic labeled patient. And then last but not least in the United Kingdom, there are studies showing that mirapenem, which is one of the broadest drugs we can use in a patient in the hospital setting. In fact, um, that label really was how Bruce started the program here in Savannah was we were seeing so many patients getting mirapenem uh, that were labeled with this penicillin allergy. And those patients that are penallergic labeled have a six times higher likelihood of getting mirapenem, which is a recipe for disaster as far as C. difficile infection. So while there are a number of risk factors 
for C. difficile infection, age, immunocompromised. The type of antibiotic that a patient receives absolutely is linked to a higher risk for C. difficile. And some of that has to do with it killing off more bacteria uh, as a broader agent. Some of it just has to do with some of these drugs like clindamycin um, typically go through the liver and directly into the gastrointestinal tract where a lot of the C. difficile infection takes place. Okay, thank you so much, Chris. And we're three minutes before we pause for our commercial break, but I do want to ask you is that, so this this matters, I mean, it seriously matters to patients, correct? Yeah, when you look at overall risk, um, you know, it's a fact. I mean, the, the longer you're on these, you know, when we think about antibiotic exposure, sometimes the right answer, of course, is no antibiotics. When you think about viral infections and you know, how many times patients get exposed to something. There are just so many touch points for when a patient may receive an antibiotic. And this can occur even in as little as one dose. When you think about uh, one of the areas where penicillin allergy, a lot of research is being done, is we're trying to push this, and I'll talk about this later in the hour, towards outpatient. And, you know, when patients are having surgery, Oftentimes, they may only get one dose of an antibiotic, but if it's one of these broader spectrum agents uh, or a clindamycin or a, a levofloxacin or something like that, that patient is at higher risk for C. difficile infection. I mean, Nancy, think about how many different types of people can prescribe an antibiotic. You've got physicians, physician assistant, nurse practitioner. How about dentists? Now, dentists is not one we classically think of within this realm, but did you know that 10% of all antibiotics prescribed in the United States are by dentists? I mean, usually when I, when I remember the first time I heard that statistic, I was blown away. And you don't put them at the top of the list, but when you think about all of the encounters they have with patients, they prescribe a lot of these. And you, as Bruce very eloquently said, you know, if they're prescribing 10% of all antibiotics and 10% of all people have a label, how many prescriptions for non-penicillins is that? And sometimes it could only be a dose or two, but that is enough to put somebody over the top as far as putting them at the risk of C. difficile infection. And so exactly. whenever you get in these circumstances, you start to get second-line therapy. So it's not only a risk of getting C. difficile infection, of course, which is terrible, but also you're getting a less chance of a clinical cure. And so what happens is you fail therapy, and then guess what? You're on antibiotics for even longer, putting you at increased risk for C. difficile infection. Absolutely. And Chris and Bruce, thank you so much for sharing all this important information with our global listeners. And at this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection with our guests, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD. And we'll be right back after these messages. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Join us for a special two-hour live online event taking place on Monday, November 1st, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's C. diff Survivors Day, dedicated to survivors of C. diff worldwide. Sign up now at cdiffsurvivorsday.com to register for free and join a variety of guest speakers and a chance to network with C. diff survivors from all over. This live online event is sponsored by Series Therapeutics, leading the microbiome revolution. Register today at cdiffsurvivorsday.com and we'll see you online November 1st. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is developing a new class of antibiotics for infections caused by bacteria listed as priority pathogens by the WHO, CDC, and FDA. These include C. diff and a variety of gram-positive infections and their candidates. To view investor information, see case studies, news, and online media, visit acurexpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is the audio sponsor of the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. Visit acurxpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals. 
because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on November 4th and 5th for the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. This will be a live two-day online event dedicated to healthcare professionals worldwide. For conference details and to register, please visit the conference website at cdiff2021.com or the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org and plan ahead for next year when we look forward to meeting you in person on November 3rd and 4th, 2022 at the Boston Logan Hilton Hotel. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. We are here today with our two guests, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD, who are here discussing the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection. Welcome back to the program, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. You are so welcome. And Bruce, can you explain to us um, about the treatment guidelines for people with penicillin allergies? Sure, yeah. Um, So this was something that was added to one of the IDSA guidelines. So the Infectious Diseases Society of America. Um, have guidelines that kind of govern a lot of what we do within infectious disease. And uh, one of their specific ones on implementing a antimicrobial stewardship program, they actually mention in there for uh, patients with a reported history of a beta-lactam allergy, essentially a penicillin allergy, should stewardship programs uh, basically facilitate initiatives to implement allergy assessment with the goal of better use of these, these first-line antibiotics. And, you know, to kind of sum up, the answer is yes. And uh, they do recommend to promote that. And skin tests where appropriate um, and basically moving to delabel these patients. I think one of the, you know, the, the things for us that we noticed immediately from that, unfortunately, is that it does come as a weak recommendation with low quality evidence. And, you know, that's something these guidelines came out probably six, seven years ago. And just in that past time frame, we've seen so much more data come out uh, on penicillin allergies and ways to delabel and, and different things like that from across the United States and even international as well. But uh, this is still something that is largely unstudied as a, a primary intervention within an antimicrobial stewardship program. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Bruce. And how do you implement these different ways to delabel? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Nancy. Um, we moved to a, a program, we call it PAST, which is P-A-A-S-T, and it's penicillin allergy assessment and skin testing program. And um, basically what that is is that you take somebody that has a list of penicillin allergy, and the first step that should always be done um, is uh, it starts with an interview. And I, I call it, it actually ends up being more of an interrogation even than an interview. And, you know, we, we kind of put together a standardized form to help um, kind of guide. It also helps us be able to spread it out amongst our students, our pharmacy residents, anybody else, so that we, we have a standardized way of doing it. But basically, um, you know, we're going to go through this form. We're going to ask them questions to, uh, to otherwise find out about that allergy. How long ago was it? Tell me specifics of it. Um, you know, did you have to seek care for it? What specific agent was it to? Um, what have you tolerated since then? Have you had penicillins? Have you had cephalosporins? We go through brand names, generic names. Any piece of information is incredibly important. Um, one of the next steps, you know, if sometimes patients come in and they're, they're not able to verbalize or, or, you know, maybe they aren't able to speak. So we'll ask family members, you know, we'll call the pharmacy if needed. Um, combing of the electronic medical records, a big part of this. You know, a lot of times I can go straight into our electronic medical record and see, hey, the last time they were here, we gave them amoxicillin once again, you know, so that's a very valuable piece of information as well. And then from there, once we do that, that gives us a good idea of, you know, is this somebody that acutely needs an intervention? We want to put them on 
a specific penicillin or a, a cephalosporin. And I think you really have four main options. There is rechallenge, there is graded challenge, there is penicillin skin testing, and there is desensitization. And, you know, for the purposes of this talk, desensitization is a very specialized thing. Really, the, the other three are the ones I would focus on. And uh, rechallenge is basically uh, we will give you uh, an, an oral penicillin as an example, and um, and do just that. We'll re-challenge you with it. And that's usually reserved for more of your mild types of reactions, such as if you have a, a localized rash. Um, the next kind of step for somebody that has a little bit more of a moderate history, maybe they had hives, maybe they have more of a distant allergy, is something that would be called a graded challenge. And that's where a lot of times we'll do one-tenth of the dose. We will monitor the patient for 30 minutes, and then uh, if everything goes fine, everything goes to plan, then we'll, we'll go ahead and put them on full dose at that point. So kind of a, a graded moving up of, of that. And then kind of for our more severe patients or if they are otherwise an unknown allergy but deemed to be at high risk, that's where penicillin skin testing comes in. And that's a little bit more of a, an involved process. It takes uh, probably about an hour and a half start to finish to do um, where it's a, a, a two-step process. We're going to do a, a puncture test on the skin, um, kind of like a, a scratch test, if you will. And then the second step is more of a, an intradermal, kind of like a, I describe it as very similar to a TB skin test to see if somebody still has that, uh, that allergy to penicillin. And I've always uh, been very straightforward. You know, I know resources affect these decisions. So, you know, you may not have at the ability to walk out of here and, and say, you know, all those sound interesting, but look, I can't start penicillin skin testing somebody tomorrow. I can't do some of these other ones. But I'll tell you, even if you can't do some of those things, uh, reconciling allergies is a, a great place to start. And I think it's something that we all can do a better job of. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all that information, Bruce. And can you discuss what data is actually out there to support to labeling of penicillin allergies? Sure, sure. And, you know, as I mentioned, I think there's more and more data out there that's growing. Um, you know, we have a lot of colleagues, uh, especially ones that are, are pharmacists that we know well, that have published a lot on different models of skin testing and, and delabeling and, and things of that nature. I'll mention two specific ones to our health system. So we originally, Chris and I actually originally published our first article on penicillin skin testing back in 2017. And I describe our program as a pharmacist-managed, nursing-driven. I mean, it's, it's really a, a multi-layered program, uh, and it involves a lot of disciplines. And, you know, that, that first kind of article, we published our, our early returns with it. We had 36 patients. Um, all 36 patients tested negative. Of those 27, we had a direct change in therapy there on the spot. Um, and, and really trying to get them, once again, to those ideal antibiotics, if we could. And we saw about a $315 cost savings per patient. That was a very mild look at it. It was a direct cost savings, but it gives something that we can take to administration to show, hey, this is something that saves money. And also, this is a, a direct savings for the patients as well. And, you know, that's a savings too for that, you know, acute episode, if you will. But, you know, let's say you're a 20-year-old individual. You know, you may have another 60 years or so of antibiotic prescribing that, you know, affects downstream from a change like that. And then, the other article I mentioned real quickly was from 2019. This was kind of our follow-up when we put in open form infectious disease. And what we did here is we, we took uh, 100 patients who were skin tested and had a penicillin allergy, and we compared them against 100 patients who had a penicillin allergy who weren't skin tested. And we said, you know, let's look and see how did antibiotic prescribing change between the two groups. And um, so of our experimental group there, the ones we skin tested, 98 of the 100 tested negative. 70 had a direct change of therapy. That's kind of what we've seen. Normally about 70 to 75% we change on the spot. We really look for bang for our buck on the inpatient side. Um, exactly. And we saw significantly higher beta-lactam use and specifically penicillin use in that penicillin skin testing group. And then once again, we saw about a, a $353 cost savings per patient in this group. So, you know, between the two, about between $300 and $350 in direct antibiotic cost savings from, uh, from skin testing these patients. That's amazing. And thanks so much, Bruce. And uh, we're four minutes from, away from our commercial. And Chris, is there any one particular study that has specifically stood out to you with regards to long-term outcomes with penicillin allergy and C. difficile infections? Yeah, Nancy, what I would say is that that's the direction we're really trying to go is look at these longer-term outcomes. 
there was a recent study in uh, JAMA Open Access that evaluated kind of the longer-term outcomes, specifically within the hospital setting. It was a tertiary care hospital in, uh, in uh, North Carolina. Uh, actually, a big part of that study was Rebecca Wren, a friend of ours from the Surge Network, Surge 45. But what they found was interesting in that when they evaluated patients in a two-phase study, one was a structured history alone, and then uh, another was a comprehensive assessment, including penicillin skin testing. And that actually occurred over a four-year period. So that's some longer-term data. And what was interesting, Nancy, is they found that overall, when they looked at prescribing of those high-risk C. diff antibiotics we talked about, the allergy assessment periods, including skin testing, definitely showed a decrease in the amount of those high-risk antibiotics that were prescribed because those patients were getting their allergy clarified. Of interest, though, is that when they looked at mortality and overall hospital-acquired C. diff risk, when you looked at the entire study, they did not show a statistical significant benefit. I think part of this is a couple of fold why they didn't see this. Number one, they only evaluated patients up to 28 days after they had left the hospital. And so we know C. diff risk, while 28 days is a marker a lot of people use, really can go out to 90 days. Um, and so you can capture a lot more cases that way. And then the other major important part is that, you know, there is a delay in getting this allergy assessment done. And so in those first few days are critical when patients are getting these broader spectrum agents. And so, um, you know, going into our next question that I know you're going to ask me, um, we really need to move some of this data to get these allergies clarified earlier. Absolutely. And Chris, before we go to break in two minutes, um, can you tell us in your opinion, where do we go from here? I absolutely think this has to go to the ambulatory care or the outpatient clinic setting. Too many times, most of the data that's been published is in hospitals and health systems where antimicrobial stewardship is really the first place where this has been required by regulatory agencies. But now this is starting to move into the outpatient setting. The hospital's the wrong place to try to really try to figure out what the allergy is, when did it happen. Many times they're confused, they're very ill, they don't, the family member that could help us is not present. So this has to move from a specialty area to it. This is a public health issue. So in reality, and Bruce and I, um, wrote about this a couple, about a year ago in, a, in JACCP, where we talked about really the next move is this needs to be a part of primary care. And really the pharmacist in this setting should be able to talk to patients and really get them set up to do some of this delabeling before they get to the hospital and we have to care for the patient under less than ideal circumstances. Absolutely. And Chris and Bruce, thank you so much for all the information you've shared with our audience today. And at this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection with our guests, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD. And stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. We'd like to thank Faring Pharmaceuticals for being the global sponsor of the 5th Annual Global C. diff Awareness Walks. To register and for more information, visit cdiffwalks.com. We look forward to raising C. diff awareness with you on September 25th. The walks are available on demand, live-streamed, and in person in Teaneck, New Jersey, Spring City, Pennsylvania, and Newport Ritchie, Florida. You can walk with us no matter where you are. Again, visit cdiffwalks.com. 
We'd like to thank Ceres Therapeutics for being the diamond sponsor of the 9th Annual C. diff International Conference and Health Expo, taking place 100% live online November 4th and 5th. For more info and to register, visit cdiff2021.com. Join us on November 4th and 5th for the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. This will be a live two-day online event dedicated to healthcare professionals worldwide. For conference details and to register, please visit the conference website at cdiff2021.com or the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org and plan ahead for next year when we look forward to meeting you in person on November 3rd and 4th, 2022 at the Boston Logan Hilton Hotel. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. With our guests today, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD, who were here discussing the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection. Welcome back to the program, Bruce and Chris. Hey, good to be back. Absolutely. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today. And, you know, you both have shared so much information um, on studies and what patients go through and a true allergy. And Bruce and Chris, for our audience listening, some of which may have an actual penicillin allergy or a family member with one, what are some, um, what's something that they can do now to have this addressed? I guess, um, Bruce, if you want to start first. Yeah, yeah, I'll kind of start, and I think Chris and I could probably go back and forth some on this one. We, um, you know, we first evaluate those patients. It goes back to some of what I mentioned earlier about the questionnaire and going through really all the specifics of the reaction, exactly what it was from, and, and just documenting, documenting, documenting. And in an electronic health record, as much as you can document, the better. Uh, and then I also think a big part of that is, you know, Chris probably is talking with others, right? Yeah, I mean, think about it, Bruce. How many times do our students, our residents, you and I, we go and talk and they say, oh, well, this happened when I was a kid, you know? And it's like, my mama told me I had a penicillin allergy. Or isn't it genetic? You know, you start to ask those questions. And so, um, you know, if your family member, you know, if this happened as a child, Definitely go and talk to whoever was caring for you as a child and figure out what exactly happened. Many times you find out it really wasn't much at all, but a lot of these questions, you know, the patient may not be able to answer because, quite honestly, they were a child and they just kind of are taking things for granted that their mom maybe told them or their father or whoever was raising them. And so I think talking to whoever was around when they had the allergy could be really, really important. That's why we talk about doing this as an outpatient as opposed to an inpatient. Um, now, Bruce, what do you think about when they go to talk to a healthcare provider? What are some things that maybe the healthcare provider can help them with? Yeah, exactly. Because we, we've kind of talked on that background digging part of it. But, you know, maybe you're listening out there, you have a family member, whoever it may be, and I say, all right, you know, that's great. But I know when I was six years old, I had throat swelling to penicillin G, and you know the specifics of it. Well, you know, being able to go to a, a knowledgeable healthcare provider that can help set up that linkage of care, I think, is the next step. And whether it's a, a primary care provider, um, whether it's somebody else in the hospital, whether it's an allergist, which, you know, is obviously an ideal resource here, um, and, and being able to go and see, okay, what's my next step? Do I fall into what I, to what I mentioned earlier? Whether it's a re-challenge, a greater challenge. You know, in the case I just mentioned, that sounds like somebody who would be a great penicillin skin test candidate. So, you know, you've got to find somebody that offers this as well. I, like I said, I think an allergist is a great place to start. So many more hospitals and outpatient centers and AMCARE centers are doing more and more skin testing. So it's just finding that linkage of care, I think, to be able to do it. And I think that's a big part of it is the, the actual um, testing of it or whatever it may be. And I think, Chris, probably the, the biggest part, in my opinion, outside of all this up to now, one of the most important parts, absolutely, is patient education. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about, I mean, Bruce, we, we go through all the pain, all the, 
the work, all the interviews, all the documentation, and unless the patient really takes it to heart and um, really takes this outside of the hospital, because you and I work primarily in the hospital setting, so it's up to them to make sure that this really carries on to anyone who can prescribe them an antibiotic. And so we really try to educate the patient. We give them a wallet card to say, hey, you, you know, especially if we skin tested them, this is when you were skin tested, you had a negative result. And, you know, they really have to tell anyone who can prescribe them an antibiotic, you know, whether it's a dentist or their primary care physician or a physician assistant or nurse practitioner that they see on a regular basis and the pharmacy they use. Because what happens is if they don't get all of those touch points where that allergy could be on their profile clarified to say they don't have the allergy, guess what's going to happen? And you and I both know, Bruce, it's going to reappear just like a family member looking for money, right? So uh, when we least expect it, there it is again, and it's going to affect prescribing and all those side effects, all of those things, including C. difficile infection that we're talking about today, we don't want those are going to be at risk yet again. The relabeling rate of a penicillin allergy, even once it's clarified to be false, is somewhere around 30 to 40%, depending on what study you look at. So again, easy to put on the profile. Sometimes it's a little work to keep it off, but that education is is really critical. Amazing. And yes, you're both amazing information you shared. Thank you so much. And um Bruce and Chris, you both have a lot of experience delabeling patients that have a listed allergy to penicillin. Can you both share some memorable patient stories before we go to commercial break? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with one, then I'll, I'll give it to Bruce. We can kind of go back and forth a couple. Um, I remember one patient we had in the ICU, and uh, they were improving, getting a little better. Uh, but it was found out, discovered they had syphilis. And uh, I had sent two of my great um, great students um, uh, into the area uh, to talk to that patient. And what was interesting was they had like their sunglasses on and they were just kind of chit-chatting with my, my students. And one of them was Summer Sizemore. She's now at Emory as a resident. And uh, what was interesting was, you know, they kind of gave him the whole detail of why you should be skin tested because he had a severe allergy. And he goes, ladies, this is your lucky day. I am ready to get rid of my penicillin allergy. And he was just so excited to like this thing that had been hanging over his head probably for 30 or 40 years to be done with it. And uh, he was successfully skin tested, uh, was found to be negative, put on the optimal therapy for his uh, condition of syphilis, and uh, he was delabeled. So that's one one that sticks out a lot to me because my, my trainees and uh, summer ended up is now doing ID training. And so that one really stuck with me. But just to, just to tell you a little bit about that label that they carry for years. Uh, Bruce, I know you got like tons of them, but can you, can you narrow it down to two? Yeah, it's, I've, you know, everyone seems to have its own unique story. And, you know, some are, some are serious, some are funny. Almost all are entertaining, I can promise you. I was sitting here thinking one that always comes to mind for me uh, is actually also a, a syphilis patient. Must be, must be going around, right? Uh, but we do know, you know, penicillin drug of choice for syphilis, so not that uncommon. But I will always remember the patient on the labor and delivery floor who um, had come in for childbirth, was was positive for syphilis, and they really wanted her treated before discharge, so she'd given birth. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they signed her up for skin testing. She was a, a great candidate. And by the time we set everything up, we get in the room, the nurse is standing there with the syringe for the penicillin. So I sat there and thought to myself, wow, no pressure to pull this one off. And they literally were holding discharge. They had everything packed up. She was packed up, ready to go. Uh, and that was the only thing holding her up. So we, uh, we did the express lane best we could. And, uh, we were able to, to skin test her negative. And, uh, literally, I think right after we finished, they did the, the required monitoring we do after they gave her, her penicillin G and, uh, and she was discharged and sent on her merry way. So what, what else do you have, Chris? I tell you, speaking of transitions in care, I had a great one several years ago where uh, it was a complicated uh, intra-abdominal infection, wound infection, and uh, I remember going up to the floor to talk to the nursing staff and to the patient to talk about skin testing. 
And as I was explaining, I had not had a chance to talk to the physician yet. And I was just kind of gauging the patient, whether they were even interested in doing this. And I remember explaining it to the nurse and the patient and the physician was outside the room. The surgeon goes, you mean to tell me that if they pass this skin test and they're negative, I can discharge them this afternoon on an oral penicillin? I said, absolutely. That's exactly what we can do. He goes, sign me up. And so uh, we signed him up, signed the patient up, uh, did the skin test. It was negative, And uh, they were discharged that afternoon. So I think, you know, that's, that's an important part. You, Bruce, you mentioned our data on just overall cost savings for the patient, but also the health system, you know, and quality of life for this patient to be able to go out and go home a lot earlier than they would have on a less than ideal, more toxic, and probably a regimen. If I remember this patient right, they were a quinolone patient, and they would have been at higher risk, no question, for C. difficile infection. And so, you know, anything we can do, there's just so many benefits to this. Uh, within each of these individual cases. Bruce, you got one more you want to share? Yeah, yeah, I'll do one real quick before we jump to the next commercial break. Um, and, yeah, to your point, you know, we talk about patient education. You throw provider education, and they're just as much. But, you know, I, the, the story I'll tell real quickly is, you know, I can tell a lot of stories about de-escalation, getting people on appropriate therapy. And I've, I've personally tested, I think, around 250 inpatients here at the hospital I'm at. You know, we've tested around 50 or so outpatients probably that I, I've specifically been a part of. I've had four positives, and that's, that's a low number, but I always tell people positives are a good thing. You, you want people to test positives so that you know that the test works. Um, you know, it's still an experience that needs to happen, uh, and I'll, I'll always remember one of those. I can remember those four incredibly well. Um, they definitely stood out, but I, I'll always remember the guy that we tested that, um, you know, when I went in there and said, hey, you know, actually, you, you're still positive, he looked at me like I was an idiot, and he said, I don't know why you all wasted all that time. I told you exactly what was going to happen. And just stared at me. And uh, I've always remembered the look on his face when he told me that. But it, it, like I said, it is a good reminder that people will test positive, and that is a, it's a sign of that, however, a, a rare occurrence. Yeah, it, and- it, is, it is nice when the patients tell you that. You know, you can have a little fun. Every, like, I like what you said. Every encounter is kind of its own unique uh, episode. But, yeah, I mean, four positives, though, out of 250. And that just shows you what you said earlier, Bruce, man, this, you know, it's rare for it to occur, but it does occur. And Bruce and Chris, we absolutely thank you for sharing all of this about delabeling. It is such an important process, such an important topic. And thank you so much for sharing those stories there. They will resonate across the globe. And at this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection with our guests, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is developing a new class of antibiotics for infections caused by bacteria listed as priority pathogens by the WHO, CDC, and FDA. These include C. diff and a variety of gram-positive infections and their candidates. To view investor information, see case studies, news, and online media, visit acurexpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is the audio sponsor of the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. Visit acurxpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. We thank Faring Pharmaceuticals for being the sponsor of the January 28, 2022 C. diff Patient, Family, and Caregiver Live Online Symposium. To learn more about Faring Pharmaceuticals, please visit faringusa.com. 
Join us for a special two-hour live online event taking place on Monday, November 1st, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's C. diff Survivors Day, dedicated to survivors of C. diff worldwide. Sign up now at cdiffsurvivorsday.com to register for free and join a variety of guest speakers and a chance to network with C. diff survivors from all over. This live online event is sponsored by Series Therapeutics, leading the microbiome revolution. Register today at cdiffsurvivorsday.com and we'll see you online November 1st. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today with our guest, Christopher M. Bland, PharmD, and Bruce M. Jones, PharmD, here to discuss the impact of penicillin allergy on a C. difficile infection. We welcome you both back to the program, Bruce and Chris. Good to be back, back again, our last Nancy. segment. Yep, here we are, the closing of the program for today, and... Uh, Bruce and Chris, I'm going to ask you if you have any closing comments or and the key points you'd like to review with our audience today. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll start, Nancy. I um, you know I think if we really had to sum things up, it's that you know if you're listening out there, there's probably a good chance that you have a family member with a penicillin allergy. Maybe you yourself have a, a penicillin allergy, but you know definitely if you have ties in the the healthcare industry, these are things we see, things we deal with, and. Um, you know, many of these allergies are, are not still something that is legitimate. Many of these patients have grown out of it or it wasn't a, a true allergy from the, from the beginning. And, you know, as we've kind of talked about, this affects healthcare resources, it affects cost, uh, but I think even more importantly, it affects getting patients on the right antibiotics for, uh, for treatment. And, you know, the side effects you start to worry about from giving people improper antibiotics or not treatment of choice is, is something like C. diff, right, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, every time a patient gets, you know, an antibiotic, they're at risk for C. difficile infection. We know that to be true. But what we do know is that when you have this penicillin allergy on your profile, uh, you're at a much higher risk. Um, And so I, I would beg, plead, ask that, you know, knowing that if you have that allergy on your profile, and some of it may be legitimate, but most of it, when you really start to interview, and I, I like the word you used earlier, Bruce, interrogate, um, we find out that these are oftentimes not even allergies, but could be side effects. Um, Bruce and I had some data we presented a couple weeks, couple of weeks ago, listen to me, a couple years ago, and uh, found in that, you know, one in five patients that we would talk to in the hospital, really, we could clarify and delabel them just by talking to them. And so I would, I would strongly encourage, you know, to get this clarified because, you know, your risk of really all these multidrug-resistant infections, including C. difficile, is much more elevated whenever you possess um, that allergy. The good thing is that there's plenty of studies in the last five years that have demonstrated that through comprehensive programs that are beginning to become more mainstream, that we can safely clarify these allergies move them from the profile. So Bruce, um, you know, just kind of thinking about this at the patient level, um, you know, what's kind of a closing message for them? How do they practically do this so that we can really get, you know, beginning with the end in mind, how do we get that label removed from that individual patient? Because as you said, a lot of them are listening to us right now, kind of thinking, where do I even go first to try to make this happen? So, Bruce, Bruce, just what would be your closing kind of 
you know, for patients that really want to, maybe they have a penicillin allergy and they want to, what are the best ways that they can potentially get this really evaluated? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, you know, I, I think you brought up great points earlier, Chris, about really this being an outpatient targeted thing, if at all possible. You know, don't wait until you are acutely sick and in need of an antibiotic to, to address this because, you know, we don't want to have to deal with that if, if possible. We really want to, you know, kind of make it an elective type of thing. So I think starting with your primary care provider is a great place to start. Linkage of care to an allergist is a great place to look at. And then, you know, we kind of touched on earlier, the most accessible um, healthcare provider out there many times are, are a pharmacist. So uh, also being able to, to just ask even your local pharmacist, hey, you know, are you aware of this? Is this something you can help me with? Uh, you know, something you can point me in the right direction. Yeah, Bruce, I, I think, you know, skin testing, while it's our most, uh, you know, we use it a lot for our more severe allergies, what we're finding out, and you and I have seen this in our in our practice here, and really this is being seen nationally, is that the vast majority of these self-reported allergies can be reconciled uh, really just with either a conversation uh, with the patient uh, or what we t- what you talked about earlier with a direct challenge in some lower risk patients where you can just give them a dose of say amoxicillin and monitor them and the vast majority uh, in the studies ninety five percent typically tolerate that and so really uh, there are a number of healthcare providers outside of the traditional allergists who do a lot of the skin tests and now pharmacists are doing skin testing as well but a lot of these like you said I really like the way you worded that is. This needs to be something you do before you need antibiotics. This needs to be something you do when you're well, when you're not sick, so that when the time comes, that label won't be there and it won't affect that prescriber uh, when they are prescribing the individual antibiotic because at that point, they will be able to prescribe not just a antibiotic, but it'll be the best one for that patient that will give them the best chance of an overall clinical cure. So I think and I, I think that's just so important to try to do that. Don't wait. Uh, it's so much easier to react, but it's so much harder sometimes. I think we as humans, we, we wait until something goes wrong. But in reality, just trying to prevent this from happening uh, could, could really save you a number of side effects, including, of course, while we're on this podcast and on this live show today, um, is to prevent C. difficile infection, which is, of course, one of the most urgent threats we have. Uh, in the world as far as infectious disease. We can't thank you enough for sharing the important uh, facts about allergy testing for penicillin. And like you said, there's no time like the present, and it is a good idea for a lot of our patients, uh, caregivers and family members, um, not too much to see diff patients at this time, but uh, for the family members and also healthcare providers who are tuning in, um, this is really you know exceptional information that you have shared, and we can't thank you enough, both of you, for grateful for your dedication in the healthcare profession and also for all the support and wellness that you give the healthcare uh, community. And at this time, we w- want to thank you both for joining us today. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness training illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corallo, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.